0: That's where we stop. Some of you remember, I'll give you a quick review. Some of you remember, we were talking about the idea of the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, and the words I kind of kept coming back to, I made a list here, were shadow, example, uh, pattern, Image, remembrance—all. Think of it. When you think of the Old Testament, when you think of the Old Testament laws, you think of all the Old Testament Levitical system and all that. All of that is an image. It is a shadow. It is a picture of something that's coming. That is the coming Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. And if you understand that concept, if you just get that in your head, then the Old Testament fits perfectly within the New Testament, and it makes very good sense. I know when I first got saved, I had no idea. I'd look at the Old Testament and I thought, do I have to keep all the laws of the Old Testament? And then, of course, after I studied a little bit, I realized I can't. I can't go to a temple and, you know, sacrifice a cow. I mean, that's just not within my ability. And so uh, all those things were a preview and, and, and an example of something to come. Now, here's the bad part. And I shouldn't say bad part. Here's the hard part for the Hebrews at this time. When I say it was an example or a shadow or an image or a picture of something to come, It's more like, it's not like if I held up a photo of myself and said, This is an image of me. Today's photos, the image of me would look just like this, unfortunately, uh, unless you have it doctored up. But uh, the image today looks the same. Really, when I say it is a shadow, uh, how many of you remember, some of you have seen these before, I do even know when I say uh, the silhouette. You remember they used to make silhouettes of people, a blackened image. You can see, this. it's usually in a profile so you can see the side of somebody's face. Okay, that's more of an image that we're talking about of the Old Testament for the New Testament. It wasn't a clear picture where they understood everything and, and got every feature the size of the nose, whether they had glasses or whatever. It wasn't that clear of a picture. It was more of a silhouette where they were still trying to understand. And so when the New Testament comes in when the truth of the New Testament comes in and the revealing of the Messiah and the understanding of all that there were a lot of Hebrews that were kind of like I don't know I don't know if we're ready for this yet and so it was a struggle and that's basically what the book of Hebrews was trying to clear up for those Jews the book of Hebrews is 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 has much information for us as modern day Christians, but it was literally written to those Jewish believers, and you read chapter one, you get that. It was written to those Jewish believers to get them to understand, you don't, have to, you don't have to live in Old Testament Judaism to now. It's New Testament Christianity. It's all been one led to the other, and the old is now done away with, and the new is here. And you see that all through the, back, all through the book. So when we were reading, we, if you remember last week's lesson, or actually it would have been two weeks ago lesson, we talked about uh, Hebrews, chapter one, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, talk about that they have a better priest, that New Testament Christians have a better priest, amen? We have a much better high priest. Our high priest does not have to give a sacrifice for himself because he was perfect. Our priests are better than any Levitical, uh, Levitical priest. So that was point one. We had a better priest. And then point two, uh, which we'll cover more detail in chapter nine, we have a better tabernacle, a tabernacle that's in heaven, not a tabernacle here on earth, uh, a tabernacle that's clean and undefiled. And, and we went into that. So that's, that's verse five, I think, in chapter eight. And so you, you get that. At, well, when you get to the second part, this is part two, it, you'll notice that we have, a better, we have better promises. Now, I kind of talked about some of this already, so I'm going to, if you've got your lesson, I think it was page 72 there in the front, that you're in the right spot but we're going to kind of jump ahead. We do have better promises. And a couple of weeks ago, if you weren't here, I'm sorry, uh, you can read it for yourself. But our promise is a promise of grace. And if you remember, go to that next page, uh, page 73 on your notes there. Uh, if you go to that next page, uh, our promise is that of grace. And th- he goes back to uh, uh, Jeremiah and then he quotes that in chapter eight, verses 10 through 12. And the concept there, the thing you want to notice in that, and I won't preach the whole thing again, but the thing you want to notice in, chap- in verse eight uh He says this five times. Look at verse eight real quick. He says, For finding fault with them, he say, Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord. And here's the little phrase you want to underline. I will, okay? I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Now, he's, he's quoting Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verses 31 through 34, uh, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. And then he's gonna repeat, repeat this phrase over and over. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be a God to them, and I shall, and they shall be, uh, and I shall, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, "Know you the Lord?" Uh, for all shall know me from the least unto the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and to their sins and, in, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now. You emphasize that, and I don't want to go detail on this because we did a couple weeks ago. The emphasis is here of grace. It's not what you do. Let me say that again. Everybody look at me. It's not about what you do. It's about what God has done for you. Amen? It's all grace. It's not about, I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing in a physical sense that I have to do to be saved except for believe the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died and was crucified for my sins and raised again on the third day. And if I believe that, by God's grace, I can be saved. Amen? Okay, Baptist, that was pretty sad. One amen in the whole crowd. By, if i believe that by god's grace i can be saved amen it's a work of god aren't you glad i mean and i've mentioned this I don't know how many times in this class on sunday morning aren't you glad that you don't have to take, try to keep all the old testament law i mean it's just it's impossible But that was the point, right? That was the whole point that it's impossible. So if you're looking at your notes here, top of page 79, six times in Hebrews chapter 8, God says, I will. By the way, like I said, that's a quote from Jeremiah. The Old Covenant was a yoke of bondage demanding perfect obedience. But the New Testament or the New Covenant emphasizes what God will do to his people, not what they must do for him. Now, let me also say this on the side of that because I don't want you to get carried away. Because a lot of people say, well, it's all of grace and therefore I don't have to do anything. You do not have to do anything except for believe to be saved. But to be in right fellowship with God, there are some things you have to do. You know what the New, Test- what the New Testament is written for? Not only for you to be saved, but for you to know what Christ's likeness looks like. Right? You cannot, you cannot please God and live your own way. I can be saved by grace and I live by grace because it's God who gives me the strength and the Holy Spirit empowers me and I can either choose to follow that or reject it. That doesn't mean you get to reject it and God's grace and salvation will be extended to you and God's grace and forgiveness is ready for you, but you have to, you have to do something for that, Right? There is a sense in which if I love God, that should bring about a response for me, a physical response of what I'm doing and how I live. And sometimes we get so carried away with grace, we say, well, I'm saved by grace and I live by grace and I don't ever have to do anything else. For salvation, absolutely. For a mature Christian life where you find joy and peace, no, there are some things you have to do. There are biblical standards of Christian living I don't know why, I don't know why a lot of modern churches are getting away from that. Well, we don't have standards, and there's not any rules, and there's not anything you have to do. No, no, if you want to live right before God, there's certain ways you have to do. My wife is a perfect example. My wife loves me. Right, Becky? That was a very good response. Thank you. That could have really went bad for me. (laughs) But yeah, my wife loves me, Right. And I have, she married me. She's been with me for 47 years. So it's been a, it's been a little bit of time. And I think she, she would say, I want to see your face. I think she would say, and I will always love him. Always. You're, you're doing good, babe. Okay. But can I, can I ask you this question? All right, Becky, be honest with this one too. But will you always be pleased with me? Honest? <laughs> <laughs> I would try she said uh, but not always right there's certain things there's certain standards I need to keep not to have her fall in love with me not to keep her married but there's certain standards I need to keep that make her ple- make me well pleasing to her right uh, I, I always used to give the example when I was a youth pastor I always tell them you know Valentine's Day I got this question several times uh, on Valentine's Day did, did you buy your wife flowers and I'd always say no He like why not my wife thinks that's a waste of money my wife said why would you buy me flowers like a you know, 12 dozen, a dozen roses in a big box and all that that would make Becky mad because Becky is a spendthrift Becky likes to save money and so Becky would rather me not do that. If I was going to go buy flowers, I should go out and buy some, not perennials, I should go by and buy some annuals. Isn't that the ones that keep going? I said it backwards. Not annuals, but perennials. I should go buy some perennials for the front of the house because then they would be seen all the time. You say, well, what are you talking about? I know what she likes. I know what pleases her. And the New Testament helps us to understand who God is and what he likes and how to please him that make sense to you guys? That make, I hope that's a good illustration. Okay, so that's the idea. So it is of is grace. So uh, it's a promise of grace. Then look at B, uh, middle, top part of your page there. It's also a promise of an interchange. And we talked about that. Remember, a lot of the Old Testament um, laws and regulations had to do with outward, what you do on the outside, right? And how you kept the law. Well, there's a change here that's coming. God is more concerned God is more concerned about who you are in here than he is out here. Outward has more to do, in my mind, outward has more to do with you people than with God. I do have to keep, whether you, whether you understand this or not, I do have to keep an outward example. If I'm gonna be a pastor, a minister of God, if I'm gonna be a truth teller and preach the truth to the word of God, I think I have to have uh, certain standards that I live by. And you should see that, right? How many of you would admit and say, we expect certain things of you, Pastor Morris? Would you, would, you, would you agree with that? You should. You should as a pastor, minister, go to the book of 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus, and there's a whole list of things you should expect of me. There's a whole list of things that I should follow under. That is an outward example. That is absolutely important. But more important is what I am on the inside. You do know, you do know, I'm just speaking about pastors right now, you do know that there are pastors who do everything right on the outside but are not so good on the inside and eventually that shows up, right? Which is more important? Well, if the inside is right, you don't have to worry about the outside. That's always been my theory. If I keep the inside right, then the outside will take care of itself. And that's the emphasis in the New Testament. So you have, you have, you uh, Uh, a promise of grace. You have a promise of an interchange. I'll put their laws in my inward parts and write them in the heart. And I think this is where we stopped last week. So see the promise of unlimited blessing. If you're looking at your notes uh, and he says this, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least unto the greatest of them. Now, if you, if you read that and you may get the idea that it's saying we don't need preachers anymore. Read it again. Here's what it says. We're we're talking about uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. It says very simply, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, talking about New Testament Christianity, and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest. So what is he talking about? We should just stop coming to church. We don't need pastors. We don't need teachers. No, he's talking about the Old Testament system of priests. That that has been done. He's goes. You'll find out as we go down into this. Uh, he's talking about this concept of a mediator between you and God. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, your sin was covered but not removed, and you needed a mediator between you and God, right? You went to the priest. In the New Testament, there is you still have a mediator, but what happened? Who's the mediator? Yeah, that's changed. I have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Technically, technically, in a technical theological sense, I have direct access to God because when God looks at me, He doesn't see my sin. What does He see? Go back to Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. What does He see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. When I accept Christ as my Savior, I've explained this before, but I'll make sure you understand it. When I accept Christ as my Savior... Uh, a lot of people take that one step and there's really two steps. A lot of people say, when I accept Christ as my Savior, there is total forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. You would agree with that, amen? Amen. I, have you guys had turkey this morning? I mean, what's going on with Okay, would you agree with me that when I accept Christ as my personal Savior, there is a forgiveness of sin, my sin, whether that's past, present, or future. That's all taken care of, amen? amen. Thank you, all right. But that's not, all the, that, that's not where it stops, okay? What happens then is God takes the righteousness of Christ, if you want to use the Romans chapter six word, and he imputes that or puts that on my account. So not only does God not see, God doesn't look at my account and see a blank account. You know what God sees on my account? I, this is hard for me to even comprehend. When God looks at my account, so to speak, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And I can talk directly to him Because because of Christ, I am perfectly righteous. Now, whether I live that way or not isn't the issue. But there's a perfect righteousness there on my account. And I don't have, when I sin, I don't have to go through a mediator. Aren't you, I know you people are glad. Aren't you glad that I don't have a confession booth? Right? And you have to come tell me everything you've done wrong. And then I tell God and then then I tell you what to do. Whew. You know, I, I, I do a lot of counseling in our church, and I know a lot of things, okay? Uh, in fact, I know a lot of things that Pastor Monty doesn't know. A couple things, people who have addiction problems. I know a lot of things about people that other people don't know. And uh, I could blow the doors off with just what I know. Could you imagine if every, I mean, that's, that'd be insane, wouldn't it? That's not necessity. In fact, uh, look at your notes again. Uh, go down to that unlimited blessing again. That is, no one shall be under necessity of imparting instruction to another or exhorting him to become acquainted with the Lord. In other words, uh, let me ask you a question. So as a Christian, where do I get, where do I get my information from? Where do I, where do, how do I know what God wants me to do and how he wants me to live? Yeah, it's not really the preacher. That's not our job. You say, what? No, no. That's the word of God. All we do is tell you what this says. That's our job, right? Some of you say you never say anything different than what the Bible says. Well, good. That's not an insult, people. That's if they say that, that's wonderful. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to say, "Thus saith the word of God." And the Holy Spirit, then, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit then is the guide, right? Amen. You don't listen to me. Listen carefully. You do not need to change your life because I said something or because Pastor Monty said something. That is not the reason you do anything. You do it because we preach the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicted you of that. You don't do it to make me think good of you or to make Pastor Monty think good of you. You do it because you want to please God. Amen? Amen? And you get the wrong motivation, and that happens a lot of time. You get the wrong motivation, and it's all about pleasing the pastor, or pleasing sometimes as a, you know, a young adult, pleasing your parents. Oh, I don't wanna make my parents look bad. That's not the motivation. The motivation is, am I pleasing God from the truth of what I've heard in the word of God? I, I struggle, I, I'm like you. I struggle between the flesh and the spirit just like everybody else does. Uh, I've always, you know, from a little kid, I remember seeing the cartoons with the angel, you know, and the devil on the shoulder. I don't even remember those illustrations. And I always thought that was silly. Well, really, it's not that far from the truth, is it? My flesh and and the the flesh, the world, the flesh and the devil on one shoulder and the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God on the other shoulder. I, I have battles sometimes. I have battles when I know what is right. My flesh wants sometimes, most of the time, what is wrong. Amen, and and that's always a in in the New Testament. Where does that information come? How is that delivered to us? That's delivered to us through the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, and so that's why we don't necessarily need a new a preacher to to, to intercede for us. We have the Word of God. We have the ability to do that for ourselves. Uh, look at D. The last thing, the promise of uh, not the last, next to the last, the promise of sins forgiven. He, read Hebrews 10, you'll see that under the old covenant, there was a remembrance, but made of sins, but no remission of sins. In fact, go to chapter 10. Uh, I want you, you you can see the fulfillment of this. I, I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but you've got to see, understand a little bit about chapter 10 to understand a little bit about chapter 8. They all kind of go together, and you get this whole message as you go through it, okay? When you get to chapter 10 just look at the, just look, we'll just read the first few verses. Actually, we'll probably read more than that. But for the law, okay, and notice the words again. Remember the words? Shadow, image, all those, all those phrases, okay? Uh, Remembrance, okay? Uh, Look again. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never, with those sacrifices which they offer year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Did the Old Testament law make anybody perfect? No, the Old Testament law did actually just the opposite. Trying to keep the Old Testament law made you you realize I am not perfect. I mean, I don't need the entire Levitical law. I don't need the entire Old Testament. You take the Ten Commandments and I'm done. I'm toast, right? Especially if you take the Ten Commandments and you expand upon them like Jesus did, and said it's not just about murder; it's about thinking about murder. It's not just about adultery; it's about lust. If you expand on those those ten laws in the New Test, in the Old Testament, and expand in the New Testament, it, there's nobody in this room can say not guilty. I, I always, you know, I preached a while back on the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Christ and he said, I, I, "I've always been a." weirded out when he said this and Jesus said you know the law you know what the commandments are and the rich unruled respite- replied to him all of these have I kept from my youth. I think if I'd have been a Baptist preacher standing there I'd have went oh, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, Jesus didn't treat him that way that may have been the way I have treated him that's probably why he's a better mediator than I would ever be but the point is we can't keep that. We can't keep it, and so it's obvious. Uh, so look at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 2. For them would they not be, have ceased to be offered. If Think about this. He's telling the Hebrews, if the Old Testament sacrifices that you offered cleansed you of sin, would you need to continue offering them? I almost can see the Jews sitting there in their, 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 their New Testament churches going, hmm, never thought about that. Yeah, so would they need to be offered? Because the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance again made of sins every year. You had to come back every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh in the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, uh, I lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. Above when he said, sacrifice an offering and burn offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Well, if they didn't fulfill the law, if they weren't what God wanted, what was? Well, he's about to tell you that. Then he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, Old Testament law, that he may be established the second, New Testament grace, right? Uh, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, you ought to have these words circled in your Bible. See the next three words. Once for all. Amen? It's a done deal. Okay, and he keeps on. If that's not if once for all wasn't it's almost like Paul says, well, that's not everything. Let me see if I can emphasize this again. He goes in verse 11. He says, and every priest standeth daily ministering and often and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. And he says this again, those sacrifices can never take away sin. They were imperfect. They were not enough. You almost feel like, how many of you almost feel like Paul's kind of beating these Hebrews in the head? Because he keeps saying the same thing. I feel like he's talking to children. Right? Anybody do that to your kids or grandkids? Have to keep saying it over and over? And he says it over, he gets to verse 12, he says it again. But this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Clear enough? One sacrifice for sin forever. Forever, Again, remember, you're an Old Testament Jew hearing this. You daily bring sacrifices. You yearly bring sacrifices. And he's saying to you, that's done. That's over. And he keeps going. Sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting to, until his enemies be made to his footstool. Verse 14, he's going to hit it again. How many of you think this is almost too much? It's like verse 14, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I don't know if you're going to get a clearer picture of what Christ did than what, he read, what you read in chapter 10. Uh, again, whereby the Holy Spirit is a witness to us for after that he said, as we said before, this is a covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write in their minds and I will write, and in their minds I will write them. Again, going back to what Jeremiah had said. And their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. whew. Wow, I mean, if you're if you're say born again Christian and you read those first seventeen verses of chapter ten and you don't get anything out of them and that doesn't excite you, I'm a little worried about you. I mean, just just the reading of not you don't need me to explain. Like just the reading of those verses is amazing to me. Uh, go back to your notes, the promises of sins forgiven, bottom of page seventy three. So read Hebrews chapter ten, you'll see that under the old covenant there was a remembrance made of sins but no remission of sin. It wasn't gone. It wasn't gone yet, okay? The blood of bulls and goats could never cover sin, but, all, but only the blood of the Lamb could take away sins, uh, the sin of the world. What a wonderful promise the New Testament gives to the burdened sinner. His sins will be forgiven and forgotten and remembered no more. You see that in chapter 8, verse 12. You see that in chapter 10, verse 7. By the way, let me say this. Understand, uh, Don't misquote this, and and I I think this is a technical point, but I think it should make it. Don't misquote the verse. It does not say that God forgot your sins. Right? Did did it say that? Some of you just went, yeah, you just said that. That's not what I said. That's not what Hebrews said. That's not what Jeremiah said. They said, he will remember them no more. You say, isn't that the same thing? No, that's not the same thing. Forgetting is passive, Intentionally not remembering is active. Let me say it this way. God does not walk around heaven and go, what was it that Danny did? I can't remember. No. God can remember, but he chooses not to remember. That's, that's an active choice of God. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thought? God doesn't... God, if God wanted to bring your sins back, he could... Oh, he has no problem bringing it back to his remembrance. He is God, right? He knows everything. He didn't just forget it. He chose not to remember it. By the way, that's really a lot of how we should learn to forgive other people, right? Forgive and forget. I'd actually think that phrase should be better quoted, forgive and choose not to remember. I'm not bringing it back up again. I'm not going to continually dwell on it. Every time I see that person, I'm not going to say to myself, yeah, I can't trust them because... Now, I know you don't do that. I'm just saying some people keep bringing it back over and over after they've forgiven or in their mind forgiven. I don't know that that's true forgiveness, but I'm choosing not to remember. Here's what I found out in my life. If I choose not, if I, I can't, I can't say I'm going to forget it. I can't tell you that. I might and I might not. In fact, if I made an active concept in my mind, if I said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to remember what Becky did to me. And so I write myself a note. Do not remember what Becky did to you. And the next morning I get up and read a note. That's right. I'm not going to remember it. Well, guess what's going to happen? I'm definitely going to remember it. But if I choose not to remember, not to If it comes in my mind, I say, nope, not thinking about that, not doing that. Eventually what will happen? I will forget it. I'm glad that we have a God who chooses not to remember. Oh, oh, some of the stupid things of oh, my life that I've done and he's forgiven me and I've asked for forgiveness and he's forgiven me. I'm glad he doesn't bring it back to remembrance. I'm, in fact, I, I believe this is true and we can debate about this later on. I believe that when it does, it's after, I've, after I've truly repented of it and I've asked God to forgive me of it, I think it's gone. Amen? That's what the Bible tells me. I think it's gone. If it comes back to my remembrance and I feel guilt for it, forgiven sin, I'm not talking about consequences of it, you do have consequences, but if I feel guilt for it, I don't think that's God bringing that back to me. He said he would remember it no more. You know who I think that is? I think that's either me or the devil. The devil loves, how many of you would say, the devil does that to me, he reminds me all the time and makes me feel bad about something I've already repented. Yeah, I, I think that's what the, I think that's part, now by the way, it's not the devil. If you haven't repented of it and you're against God and you're still in your sin, uh, that's probably not the devil convicting you. Guess who that is? That's the Holy Spirit. Understand the difference, okay? Uh, so uh, we have a, I, I would agree we have a promise of sins forgiven, amen? He chooses not to remember. Go back, uh, uh, go to the next page real quick. I'm going to run out of time again. I'm going to get this lesson finished, okay? Uh, I want you to notice a couple of things here, top of page top of 74. In order, that God, in order to be their God, as mentioned in verse 10, it is, request, it is, a, it is required that their iniquity should be pardoned. This, that is, uh, boy, I don't know what's wrong with my mouth this morning. This is provided for, by the offering of Jesus Christ as the covenant sacrifice. By his blood, redemption has been purchased and all who are penitent hearers believe on the Lord Jesus Christ receive, receive remission of sin. God remembers their iniquities no more against them. All spiritual evil against the nature and law of God is, re- is represented under the following terms. And I, 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 don't, I don't know if I agree with the definitions here, uh, but I, I, I think it makes it clear. Uh, look at verse 12. It, when he says this, um, uh, Verse, uh, it, not verse 12, that shouldn't be verse 12, that's verse 17. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Uh, uh, Clark defines it this, unrighteousness are all injustice or wrong, that is against God, his neighbor, and himself. Sin is a deviation from divine laws, that is missing the mark, and iniquity as lawlessness and not having knowledge. Uh, write this beside him. Here's, here's my definitions, okay? My definitions are a little different. When I think of unrighteousness, I think of that as uh, what you choose to do against God. Unrighteous to me is when I have a choice for righteousness and I choose unrighteousness instead. God, there's a righteous choice I should do, and I choose not to do it. That's unrighteousness, right? There's something I know that I have a responsibility to do, and I say, no, I'm not doing that. That's unrighteous. When you think about sin, I think of sin as uh, that part of sin. So one is what you do. I think of sin in general sometimes aren't as much as not just as much of what you do as also as what you don't do. Uh, I think some people don't like to define sin this way. But there are a lot of things I'm supposed to do, whether that's witnessing to other people, whether that's daily reading and, 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 bringing, sin to God, and bringing my sin to God and asking for forgiveness. There are some things that I'm supposed to do. And when I don't do that, for him to do it, know what to do good and do it not, what is it? Sin. So I sometimes define sin as the things I don't do that I should do. Unrighteousness those things that I should do that I don't do you say well then what is iniquity well in my notes I've heard it this way (laughs) doing what not doing let me say it this way what you did not know you should do in other words there's some sins I commit that I didn't know were sins until later right uh I, I don't know how many times I've been in a mess, especially younger, as a young Christian pastor would be preaching and, and he'd say, you need to ask God to forgive you. And here's what the sin was. And he would list the sin. And, and I'd be like, oh, I didn't know that was wrong. Sometimes there's it's not quite unrighteous. It's not quite sinfulness. It's an, it's an iniquity that I wasn't aware of. But once I'm aware of it, then I need to do something about it. Now, I don't know if you want to define them that way. Uh, some people, a lot of commentators, uh, whether you talk about unrighteousness, sin, and iniquity, all the same. And I think they are all the same. I just like to break them down in little categories because that's the way my mind... I have an ABCD mind. Some of you know, I have point one, point A, sub point one. This is how... I, have, I, I can't help myself. I, it's how I think. If, if Pastor Monty's preaching and he's not giving an outline or Pastor Wall... When I write it down, it comes out as you'll see in my notes, I wrote an outline. That's just so I, I like to put things like that. I'm kind of organized brain. I don't know if that's sometimes it's bad. Somebody told me the other day, I, and I didn't, I didn't notice this. I, I left the auditorium yesterday, was it last Sunday or Sunday? Sunday before last. And somebody stopped me and they were laughing. And I said, What's so funny? He said, You are so OCD. Uh, what is it? OCDC? OCDO? What is it? OCD. Uh, and I said, "What do you say that? And they said, do you know every time you sit down? Now I shouldn't tell you this because now you'll be watching. <laughs> they said, do you know every time you sit down up here, if the songbook and the, uh, the little schedule are not straight, you straighten them. And then you straighten Pastor Ogden's songbook <laughs> and his paper. And then Pastor Ogden sits down and messes up and you reach over and straight." I didn't know I did that. But then last Sunday, because that was two weeks ago. Then last Sunday, I was straightening his book and went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's just how my, I, everybody works different, you know. I, I'm, I, I, I would say I'm obsessive, but I'm not technically compulsive. If I come to your house, I won't straighten your frame. It'll bother me. Frames on the wall, that will bother me. I won't, but I won't get up and go, oh, I got to fix. So I'm not compulsive, but yeah, a little obsessive. Stop it. Hey, your desk was clean. For, first time ever. Freak me out. We, we walked by his office. Go ahead in the other room so I can talk about you. Keep moving. We walked by his office the other day, Pastor Ryan and I, and I stopped, and Pastor Ryan goes, what? And I went, Pastor Ogden's desk was completely clean, and everything was organized like it was my desk. And I looked, and I said, Ryan, look. And Ryan looked, and Ryan, Pastor Steinke goes, Did we fire him? (laughs) Everybody's a little different. Anyway, I hope you didn't hear that. Okay, Uh, so then there's the promise of eternal blessing, right? And we talked about that. The eternal blessing being the old done away with, the new in force, right? Remember the old, the old, if I got rid of the old pulpit and I put another pulpit in here, right? If I get rid of this pulpit and I put another pulpit in here, the one in the back room, this one, is now what? the old pulpit, and the one here is the new pulpit. It makes perfect sense. The old replaced the new, and that's the, con- that's the concept here. And he's trying to get these Hebrews to understand that the old has replaced the new. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's see if I'm going to get this done. Uh, I'll finish the rest next week, but uh, just, I, I want to stop there because I don't want to be late again. But understand, I, I say this, I've said this all since we've been in the book of Hebrews. Aren't you thankful? I mean, you've got to be thankful that you're a New Testament Christian, amen? I'm not saying that if I was an Old Testament Israelite, I wouldn't go through the laws and I wouldn't do everything I could do to please God. I would, I hope I would. But I am so much thankful that God's grace and His mercy has been revealed in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that I don't have to look at a dark silhouette. I can see it clearly. But I'm also, listen to me, I'm also sometimes guilty because I can see it clearly and choose not to obey it. They had, listen to me, they had a tougher type of religious ceremony they had to do. We have it easy and we still fail. Amen? Or oh me. Dearly Father, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to do a work in our hearts and life. Help us to understand how much grace and mercy has been shown to us as Christians. Modern day Christians, Lord, we have the clear testimony of the gospel. We can clearly in moments, literally just minutes, show somebody the truth of the gospel and help them to understand what Christ has done for them. And yet we still don't do it. Help us, Lord, not just to be happy that we have it, but be happy to share it. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen.